Welcome to the Church and Culture Podcast, a weekly discussion with Dr. James Emery White on the latest trends happening in culture and where and how the church should respond. Jim is the founding and senior pastor of Mecklenburg Community Church in Charlotte, North Carolina, president of Serious Times, a ministry devoted to exploring the intersection of faith and culture, former professor of theology and culture at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary, where he also served as their fourth president, and the author of more than 20 books. I am your host, Alexis Dry, and I can't wait to dive into this week's conversation. Well, hey, Jim, and hey, everybody who's listening to us. You know, we've talked a handful of times on the podcast now about the unfortunate kind of rapid closing of churches in the U.S. and the great resignation of pastors and the huge hit that many churches took during COVID. And the more that I've thought about that, you know, the more that I've imagined just how incredibly difficult it has to be to make that call to close a church. And, and, and I just don't know enough to know, you know, when when would you make that choice? Who would make that choice? And now, Jim, I know that the church that you lead, where I also work, Mecklenburg Community Church, is nowhere close to closing. Um, in fact, we've been experiencing unprecedented growth. But I also know that it wasn't always that way. And I know that you had to make a tough call a few years ago to close some of our campuses. So I was hoping that today maybe we could talk about how to how to know when to close a church or when to revitalize a church and how to decide whether a church is worth saving or not. So you up for that? I am. Okay. All right. So I thought that I would present to you a series of three scenarios kind of to guide today's conversation, and none of them are hypothetical. So here's the first one. I recently had the pleasure of talking to a local pastor who inherited a dying church just a few years ago. It was founded in the 1960s. It reached its peak um, in the 1980s with more than, I think, 250 families. But in the last two decades, it has experienced a pretty steady decline. They're now averaging about 100 people every weekend, but the average attendee age is 65. And when I looked at kind of their records, what she was willing to share with us, not a single adult has been baptized in more than 10 years. Um, but the current pastor was hired to turn things around. And um, he's he's really motivated to do that. But I was just thinking, like, what would you say if he came to your office and wanted to, you know, hear your heart and ask you, do you think it could be saved? Or more directly, do you think it should be saved? How do you think you'd that, respond? That conversation shouldn't be at the office. It should be over a local brewery or something. <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh my gosh. I, I uh, Well, okay. You phrased it in a couple of ways. Should it and then could it? Should it be saved? I mean, I always want to say yes. You know, the should question. I believe the church is the hope of the world. I am an undying devotee of the vision of the church that Christ came to establish. Can it be saved? And, and that depends. Um, I would sit across from that dear brother or sister and I would, I would ask questions. Um, and, and the kind of questions that I've learned to ask over the years that I think are relevant, such as um, I would want to, I'd, I'd ask them, what do you see as the church's mission? Like what, what really is its mission? And I would, I would, you know, talk a bit about that. And I would probe a little bit about it to see if there really is a deep understanding and commitment to a mission of, of reaching the unchurched, uh, a mission of seeing those far from God draw near to God and then be fully discipled and grow. And, and, and you know, as we often will chart it around here, the, the flywheel of let's evangelize the lost and let's get those lost people that we've evangelized tied in and assimilated to the church. And then 
let's get them discipled and the ones that are, you know, we win to Christ and then let's unleash them. And then just, you know, are, are you committed to that mission? Um, I, and I would ask another question, where are the people in, in this? Cause that's a, that's a, it's not just the leader. Mm-hmm. Where are the people? Are, are they, are they wanting to preserve the past and, and, and they're still living? Do you bring us, bring back our glorious past. That's how you, that's how we want you to save us. Mm-hmm. Or is it, are they, are they willing to change? And the answer to that question is critical because the old saying, if you always do what you've always done, you'll always be where you've always been. Uh, change is going to be an absolute essential and people have got to be ready to change. Another question I'd probe is, is, is whether or not, are you free to lead? Or do you have handcuffs where you have to go and, you know, get a business meeting approval every time you want to buy paper clips? I mean, do you, are you free to lead the church? Not in an autocratic or dictatorial way, but are you free to lead? Mm-hmm. Because if you're not, there's going to be severe limitations. And then, and then the final thing that I would do, not, and I wouldn't necessarily do it in this order, but I, I'd, I'd want to know the best guess as to why there's been such steep decline. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 and here's why. Here, let me give you a common reason. For, let, me, let me One scenario uh, in terms of an answer to that question. It's very common for a church to have its heyday. And then the area around it demographically changes. Hmm. Let's say, for example, it was primarily a, a, um, uh, a middle-class Anglo, you know, church. And, and uh, over the course of 5, 10, 15 years, uh, that becomes a largely, say, Hispanic population. Hmm. And let's just say it's lower middle class or something, just a changing demographic. You fill in the blank. We'll say that's the case. Well, that church is going to have to make a decision. The typical church is going to have to make a decision, unless it's a regional church of some size. But a church that size is largely a local church. So you're going to have to make a decision. Are we willing to change to meet the people that is now our mission field? Or are we going to be exclusive? Are we going to be racist? Are we going to refuse to have... English as a second language classes or whatever we want to, you know, whatever it takes. Are we going to change our music? Are we, are we going to embrace our new mission field or are we going to die out in almost defiance of that mission field? And so that's, that's a, that's a, that's a pretty critical thing to explore. So uh, my, my answers would be dependent upon how those questions are answered. Well, like the, so the pastor that I was talking to, I mean, he was he was ready, he was willing to do all that he could do to revitalize the church. I mean, the fact that you know we had this conversation that he was willing to share, you know, share these not so you know glorious stats about the church and things like that showed that he was really invested in that. But that's not every pastor's reality. Like you talked about how burned out so many church leaders have been feeling. So how would your advice change if the pastor had come to you in that scenario, like burnt out and exhausted? Well, I'd ask the same questions mm-hmm. because that determines whether there's hope in the future, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, but then I'd ask, a, I'd, I'd add a few um, that I, I've learned to ask just having, you know, met with, seemingly countless numbers of pastors over the years. Um, and I've learned to ask these questions more as, as I've gotten older and it becomes almost more of a mentoring thing with younger pastors. But here's, our, here's a few. And I would, I would just say, look, do you, do you have five more years in you? 
Do you have at least five more years in you? Uh, that's a critical question. And a lot of times it helps to frame it that way because they, they can be like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm hanging by a thread. I'm dying. And then you can say, OK, do you have five years? If they just say, oh, my gosh, that that's unthinkable for me. OK, well, then then we're then you know, that's a that's a that's an answer. That's a directional answer. Um, I, I, I've learned to ask, how settled are you in your calling? If the if foundational issues of calling are being second guessed, then that's that's a very shaky foundation. And, and, and one that needs to be, that needs to be settled before anything. So how, how settled are you in your calling? Um, I've learned to ask, how are you doing emotionally? And are you caring for yourself emotionally? Are you finding that you're able to care for yourself emotionally? Um, and here's another one that's a really important one. And I asked this just recently of somebody. Talk to me about your spouse and your kids. Uh, how are they doing? Do they have five more years in them? Do they even have 12 months left in them? Because the brunt that they bear is, it can be um, quite acute. Um, and, I, and I guess the last question, and again, these aren't in, in a particular order, but the last question that comes to mind is, tell me, tell me, tell me why you planted this church to begin with. Hmm. Tell, me, tell me about that. Tell me that story. Tell me that vision. Tell me what was behind that. And oftentimes that's helpful, um, depending upon how circumstantial it was or situational it was, or whether this was a lifelong calling, or was this something that you felt dragged into kicking and screaming, or was this something that you just felt like you had to do or die? And what motivated it was, and, and, and so just kind of getting into that, all of those things, I think, helped the person and certainly would help me uh, talk to and counsel someone. Mm -hmm. Well, I want to go back to something you mentioned before you know, with regards to, you know, a change that would be necessary is not only in the hands of the leader, but the community, the church community, the people who attend there are just as much a part of that. Like the pastor that I had referenced originally, like while he was really eager and motivated to change and to do whatever they could be or could do, which they needed to, you know, go in a different direction than where they had been going, you know, and even the congregation was like, yeah, yeah, we're on board. But then when it came time to kind of implement things to attend at a different time or to serve in this particular area, then that's when the congregation was a little bit less gung-ho about making the changes. So what do you do with that? Like, what do you do for a leader who's like, I'm ready, but my congregation doesn't want to really change or make the necessary changes? Well, you already heard in my questions that I was raising before that I was kind of poking around, how are the people mm -hmm. uh, and are they on board with this? And so in terms of how important this is, how important them being on board, it's everything. I mean, it's, it's everything. It, it, it's going to come down to that. Um, there, there's, there's two mindsets. If you really want to oversimplify it, you know, you've got the mindset of, of preservation or the mindset of change. And if there's a preservation mindset that's going to resist change and resist doing anything that alters tradition or the past, um, then then you're going to have a hard time. You're going to have a hard time. Um, and uh, so so here so here are the key here are the key ingredients for success here. Does the church or can you get into the church the right core values that transcend? all kinds of things, but just core values that are kingdom values, growth values, um, and, and just, you know, we're going to do what the Bible says kind of values, you know, uh, 
tradition's a good thing, but traditionalism isn't. And so you need values that transcend all of that. Another thing, too, that you've got to get across is separating um, methods from the message. One of the things that is so hard for people is that they tend to equate doing church a certain way with orthodoxy. And as a result, when you start playing around with methodology, they almost feel like you're playing around with the message of Jesus. You're, you're playing around with, with what it means to do and to be church. And, and you're really not. You're playing around with the methodology. Um, you know, the message is timeless. The methods are uh, have to be ruthlessly evaluated continually, you know, on a regular basis. Another key ingredient is vision. Just casting vision. I... I I, whenever I get asked, so what do I do? And how can I turn around my church? I said, the first thing you need to do is don't do anything methodologically. You just spend six months casting vision, you know, take them through the book of Acts, you know, and, and until they just wave the white flag about being the church and reaching the unchurched and, 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 and that. And so, you know, just cast vision. And, and, and so that the people are, are literally, so to, the people are saying, we've got to do something. We've got to change. It can't be the way it is. And that's when you know you've achieved visional success. When you have people responding, saying, what are we going to do? We can't, you know, how, how? Um, and so casting that vision clearly and relentlessly. And then, and I would say, and, 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 and you know this well, because of how much I, tie this to vision. There has to be an understanding that uh, we're all going to die to ourselves. Yeah. I mean, that that you, no church is going to grow. You're not going to reach the unchurch unless you die to yourself. You know, you've heard my forward mantra, it's not about you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I quickly add, and it's not about me. It's about the person who's not even here yet. And so that getting that into the mindset is critical because what you said earlier that this pastor was alluding to, was that I've never met a church yet where the people said, oh, I don't want to grow. Mm-hmm. I don't want to reach people. I don't want to see young people come into our church. No, they all say, oh, where are the young people? And we'd love to grow. And I remember when we had this many people and now we only have this. And, and, but, but when you say, okay, here's what it would take to, to, to do that, then they go crazy. Yeah. Like, oh my gosh. And they resist. And that's why you have to cast this vision of, of what it is we need to be in death of self. And when you finally get them there, then you can say, okay, now here's what we can do. Now you may not want to do it because it's not going to be easy. You may not park where you wanted to park. You may not know everybody anymore. I mean, here, here's, here's what's involved when we die to ourselves to do this. And I would be very point blank about it. I I've always been very candid about what does it mean to die to yourself? Um, and, and, and maybe very clear, you know, name, name the elephants in the room. Mm-hmm. And, and almost, you know, get us laughing at ourselves. You know, it's like, okay, that on that pew over there, there's an indention because it purposely, perfectly matches your buttocks because you sat there for 35 years. Do you really want people to know your waist size? Okay, let's move you, you know, a couple feet down or something, you know. And, and but you, you, you do need to just um, kind of lay bare and expose the spiritual narcissism that is so prevalent. Uh, where we make our needs everything and our desires, our sensibilities, our style of music, everything. And, um, and, and like, you know, someone says, I don't like the music. Well, it's not about you. Well, I don't, I don't like where I'm having to sit. It's not about you. I don't like having to park far away. Well, aren't you glad you have to? Because it's not about you. And on and on and on it, it goes. And 
And if someone just finally just says, but I want it all about me, then, you know, uh, hey, there's 700 other churches in town that will make it all about you. Mm. Uh, but not this one, because we're, we're going to reach people. But I will go ahead and guarantee you that when you find that church that will make it all about you, you're going to go through a death cycle like you're in right now. Yeah. That church will eventually decline. And that church will, because it's not focused on reaching people. Now, let me hasten to say it's not like death to self means that the church doesn't care anything about the already convinced or doesn't care anything about discipling believers or anything like that. It's just that as part of our discipleship, we build into take up your cross. Mm. And that's going to be particularly acute over things that most people don't think taking up your cross is about. But it's about things that you have to do to be evangelistically effective. Yeah. Mm. All right. Let me give you the second scenario. So pastor feels called to plant a new church. And so that comes after a lot of prayer, support raising, and it, the church gets off its feet. Okay. And the volunteers, the pastor, they're originally like really committed. They do all that they can to reach the community, to serve the community, to stay faithful to scripture and their teaching. And at first there is, there's some growth, right? And, but now it's year four. And the volunteers are tired. They're tired of setting up and tearing down their rented space every weekend. Attendance has trickled down to about 20 people a week. The pastor, again, is still committed, but the attendees are wondering, like, maybe it would be better if we just merged with another church or just say, we gave it our best effort, but let's let the doors close and we all find somewhere else to go. What do you think? You know, my gut instinct is to say close or merge. Absolutely. And not not just kind of soldier on like that. Uh, I'm going to take your, your non-hypothetical scenario at face value mm-hmm. and say that if you've gone four years and you're down to 20, and um, I mean, sometimes we just have to acknowledge that God has voted on something. Mm-hmm. We just have to acknowledge it. You know, it's, it, and, when I, and I'm going to use this language very carefully. You know, we often talk about like, you know, did God show up for that? And I don't mean to say the true absence of God. I just mean, you know, you know, when God really blesses or honors or infuses something with supernatural energy, just like when someone uses their spiritual gift in a particular way. And and so sometimes we just have to acknowledge that God has voted on something for whatever reason. Um, and, and, and there's an old, there's a lot of like little rules of thumb. Like if a church hasn't broken 200 by its second year and certainly by its fifth year, it never will. If it hasn't broken 500 by its fifth year, it never will. Um, and there's always exceptions to that, but those are rules of thumb for a reason. They tend to be true. Hmm. And if a church hasn't broken 200 by its second year in average attendance, it, it probably won't. And there's all kinds of reasons we can get into for that. Um, and it's, but, uh, that tends to be the case now. Uh, so, so what, what, what's, what's the mindset that we should have? We should, we should always have a kingdom mindset that there's, there's finite, finite resources. There's finite energy. It has to be invested strategically. Um, and so I would say, listen, celebrate what did happen. Uh, but have the humility to own reality. And, and the reality is this, this didn't work. This, this didn't, this didn't gain traction. And let's look for some place where, you know, as, uh, has often been said, let's find out what God's doing and join him. 
Okay, last scenario, and it's going to cl hit closer to home because it's about Mech, right? I alluded to the fact that we used to have three physical campuses along with our online campus, um, but a few years ago, the tough decision was made to close two of the physical campuses. Can you talk a little bit about what went into that decision, whose decision that was? Yeah, it's not exactly apples to apples, but the emotion of closing is right. apples to apples. We, we actually had four physical campuses and and one online. Uh, we had the main one here. We had one in this, this won't matter to most people, but one in a place called Lake Norman, one in Mountain Island Lake, one at Rocky River, and then the one here at Brown Road. But anyway, four physical campuses. We had one online as well, so five. Um, and I, I actually wrote about this decision in my new book, uh, Hybrid Church, because it was relevant to kind of what I was proposing in that book. In 2019, just before the pandemic that no one knew was coming, we did. We closed all of our satellite campuses and ended the multi-site approach to uh, growth that we had embraced for nearly a decade. Uh, this made more than a few waves at the time and was even picked up by several Christian news sites. It seemed to fly in the face of almost every church trend. Um, the multi-site model is not complicated. And let me just go ahead and get, tell you the full story because I think it's important to take it completely. So this might be a little bit of a longer answer. The multi-site model, it's not complicated to understand. The goal, at least for us, was never to simply make it more convenient for Meckers to attend. The goal is to break down geographic barriers that might inhibit an unchurched person considering an invitation from a Mecker to attend in order to explore what Jesus might mean for their life. We decided to chart a different course. It wasn't because our sites were failing. They weren't. Most were growing rather nicely. It wasn't because the church as a whole was in decline. At the time we made the decision, we were coming off a record season of growth and a year witnessing hundreds of baptisms. So why did we end our multi-site approach? We were committed to the principle that methods must be tirelessly evaluated in light of missional effectiveness. And this means not only asking, is it working, but asking, how well is it working? And perhaps most importantly, and this is something that's, I, I don't know that is often explored, uh, how that degree of effectiveness compares to the potential effectiveness of other possible investments with those same resources. You know, I, I, someone could tell me we sent out 100 people to do door-to-door -door visitation in a neighborhood and we got two people that let us in the door and one of them gave their life to Christ. And so, and, and, and my, my instinct is first, yay God for that one salvation. My second instinct is you give me 100 people who are going to give an entire day's worth of energy like that and I guarantee you I can probably find something more evangelistically effective than door-to-door -door visitation. That resulted in one life. What if we could have forgot? What if we reach ten families or twenty families with that same amount of energy? See that that's 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 what I mean by thinking this way. So if a method is found wanting, or there's a better method to, method to pursue, then no matter what that method is, no matter what the outside optics might be, no matter how much time and money and effort has been invested to that point, there shouldn't be any sacred cows. So we decided that it was time for the multi-site approach to end and to have those resources and those efforts be more strategically invested. And the reason was very simple, and it was long in, in the making. The multi-site approach is a physical approach in a digital world. Hmm. Even worse, it's a physical response to a digital need, a digital demand. 
Uh, I remember my friend Kerry Newhoff quipped once. Um, he said, the internet is the venue in which the entire community we're trying to reach lives. And it's true. We were finding that when someone was invited by a friend, instead of attending a physical campus, people um, first visited our website uh, or some other online venture that we offered. And then as a secondary step, attended one of our online campus services. Our, our tenders even intuitively suggested this. Right? They, they recommended that process. It wasn't long, you know, they'd always just say, hey, you know, instead of, hey, come to church with me this week, they'd say, hey, check us out online as, as, a, as a kind of a first step. It wasn't long before we were seeing our online campus become our fastest growing and second largest collective venue. Uh, it's now our largest by far. The front door of the church is not a physical place. The front door of the church is not physical. It's digital. And the role of the multi-site approach was to remove geographical barriers. Today, those are not the barriers that need to be removed. Yeah. Um, the young church don't begin with geography. They begin online. And because of the new digital realities of our world, when someone is exposed to a church online and hopefully intrigued, uh, if they want to attend physically, then distance isn't a matter, uh, 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 an issue. There used to be this thing, Alexis, called the 20-minute rule, the 20-minute barrier. You still hear this talked about in some circles, which said that once someone is 20 minutes or more away from a physical campus, that that becomes a barrier. Yeah. You, and so you have to you want to plant sites or plant churches at least every 20 minutes or so from each other uh, so that you can overcome that barrier. And because but the mindset for that is, is that the only invitation to explore involved physical attendance. Hmm. I mean, that was a, that was a physical world answer to a physical world problem. And as I said, that's that we're not facing those issues anymore in the digital age. You're not asking people to explore things physically. They can and even want to do it from the comfort, privacy, and anonymity of their home and doing it online. Once they are intrigued by a church through all things online, they don't think anything about traveling 20, 30, 40 minutes. They, they don't, they, that's not a big deal. If they even want to do it physically, Some of, many of them want to stay online. So um, in, in the final stage of, of our evaluation of the multi-site approach, and it had been heavily under our, our microscope for months, we, I remember we randomly surveyed, and you'll remember this, <coughs> excuse me, we randomly surveyed a thousand of our attendees, cross-section, and found several really confirming realities from that. One, that they were bypassing, uh, inviting friends to our um, newer sites. Instead, they were intended to invite them if it was a physical invitation to the originating campus. Second, um, if they weren't inviting them to attend the founding campus, they were intentionally inviting them to online experiences, such as our online campus, or to listen to messages on our app. Uh, no matter where they lived in the city of Charlotte, they didn't feel sites were needed near them for reaching their unchurched friends. That, again, in their minds was no longer a barrier. And they were most comfortable inviting them to non-video venue events and services. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean non-online, I mean non-video venue. Like most multi-site churches, our sites were live in regard to worship and children's ministry and such, but the message came via video. Um, so in essence, what we were doing is we were putting a tool in their hands they didn't ask for, and they didn't feel it was needed, and as a result, didn't really use, at least for the mission. They may have attended the sites out of convenience, which was not our goal, or a sense of just raw duty, but they didn't use it to reach their unchurched friends, so it wasn't deeply missional. We gave them the physical, they voted with their feet for the digital. 
So for us, it was it was a it was a missional decision, mm -hmm. uh, many months in the making and made from a position actually of health, numerically. Uh, but that's not all. There was again, as I mentioned, gosh, there was all that we could do with those freed up resources, and we just became absolutely convinced that'd be so far more effective at turning the flywheel. We dreamed of. Um, expanding our digital footprint of making our website so much more than it was, particularly making it work seamlessly with mobile technology, uh, using social media and digital marketing to reach out in unprecedented ways, staffing our online campus the way we would a, a physical campus, expanding video production capabilities and equipment and so much more, all of which we've been able to do. And so in, in that sense, we're still multi-site. It's just that one is physical and one is digital. Right. Um, and we, we just, we all of us here at Mac I, I, I celebrate that decision. We really do. I don't know if a single staff that that looks back and says, "Oh, I wished we hadn't closed the sites and gone, you know, more hybrid." Uh, not simply because shortly after we made the pivot, uh, the pandemic hit and the world was thrown <laughs> online, and we were um, more than ready for that. Uh, but because even before COVID hit the world. And after we made the decision, not only did our in-person services grow in size, but our online growth became meteoric. Mm. Now, getting back to kind of more our, our, our conversation, these kinds of decisions, they are emotional. They're, they're, they're not easy. They, and they can also be affected by sin, which we haven't really talked about. Mm. I recall more than one moment when I resisted everything I knew was pointing towards shutting down the sites and making this move for the digital, but I resisted it because of optics, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, people thinking, oh, did you hear Met closed all their sites? Must be trouble there. That mm -hmm. church must not be doing well. And I knew that wasn't true. And the pride in me didn't want anyone suspecting that it was true. Um, because, and, and multiple sites have become a, a kind of a ministerial badge of pride. We're a multi-site church, you know, it's like, like I, I've seen churches that are running, you know, a hundred and they want to start another site almost because it feels like, so we can say we're multi-site, you know, we've arrived. Um, and, and in the end, such temptations were laid bare for me for what they were, uh, raw pride, uh, and made me even more resolved to think strategically than ever before. That doesn't mean there wasn't emotion. I mean, there was, um, and we walked through it very carefully. And particularly the biggest emotion that I was sensitive to, wanted to be sensitive to, was the blood, sweat, and tears that had been poured in by volunteers to make those sites what they were. Yeah. Um, if you're a leader, it's hard to end something you created, invested in, that yielded success and, and, and that you were emotionally attached to. Um, but, uh, but you know, it, it, it's, also, it's hard for the people. It, it's just so hard for the people because it's not like just saying, hey, we used to ship FedEx, now we're going to go UPS. It's more like saying we're ending a way of life. Mm -hmm. You know, we're ending a way of doing things. We're ending a shared experience. We're, we're drawing a final chapter to a lot of fond memories. And we're, we're kind of venturing what's going to feel like an emotional vacuum. Um, and, uh, and, and I think this is why leaders don't make this decision more often. They don't close things or end things. And when they're made, they're often fiercely resisted by those with that emotional investment. And I get it. Um, you know, you're not just closing a site. You're ending a community. Right. 
Um, you're not just ending Sunday school. You're, you're, you're changing what going to church on Sundays has always meant and involved for that person. Uh, you're not just moving to a new location. Uh, you're taking away memories of all that took place where they used to meet and the money that had been raised and selflessly given to build those buildings. You're, you're not just changing the music. Yeah, you're, you're changing how they worshiped and you're taking away the songs they loved and the words they had memorized. And, 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 and you're not just going online, you're changing what it means to attend. But this is exactly what separates a dying church from a thriving church. Hmm. Um, well, back to Mac, you asked about my role in that decision. Uh, there was, a, again, a watershed moment. I remember with our decision to end the site multi-sites and go with the digital. And it was, and it was this whole strategic resource dynamic. I remember it was during our annual budget development process in, um, in uh, 2018, we made the decision in 2019, but there was that pivotal budget development process and we needed to bring all that we wanted to do in line with our best projections of what we, you know, we anticipated God was going to allow us to have. We were we have always been very conservative in fiscal matters. And so this is never a small exercise, our annual budget process, and involves a lot of people, uh, staff and everything else. Well, I had long been wrestling with the effectiveness of our sites as an outreach tool as compared to the potential the digital revolution was offering. And they may not seem like an either or, but but it became an either or. Mm-hmm. Uh, in those budget meetings, the, the the two investments came into stark contrast for me. We were locked into spending enormous amounts of money on rental facilities, staff intensive weekend services at multiple locations around the city, and in doing so, didn't have the resources to improve our website, invest in digital marketing, uh, take our app to a new level, make our online campus state of the art in terms of its outreach potential. Like never before, I was confronted with where our money was going and where it could go. Having to say no to what I knew would bear even more fruit than our very expensive sites made me just want to go throw up in a corner. Uh, But close the sites, I mean, the emotional was just running headlong into the irrational, but I I made the decision really on that Um, and uh, to invest in what would be most effective. And so, um, and, and I think that's the decision that faces so many churches. Yeah. Is and and for us, you know, it just propelled us forward. We we have been since had our greatest season of growth after we made that decision, and uh, it feels different. It looks different. It is different, um, and um, we had to convert a lot of our thinking. It involved a lot of change. Uh, there was a lot of sorrow with the closing of sites and things of that nature. But collectively, we look back and we say we have reached thousands more mm-hmm. than we would have. And, and, um, it was, it was right to do, it was the thing to do. Hmm. Maybe to close, like, I, I hear what you're saying of like, for us, like it, I mean, we see the fruit of while that was a really tough decision to make that God had blessed, you know, that decision. But at the same time, like, even if you consider for someone else who, you know, that, that church planter who is closing the doors, or let's say, you know, another church, they just don't make it and they close down and they don't have this like, but then, you know, you know, or maybe just not yet. Like, how do you, how do people process? How would you suggest that someone process that? Like, did I mishear God? Did we fail? Did like, how? Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, I don't care what you you know how much success your church has had or not had. Every single person, every single leader has gone through failure, and has gone through or the experience what feels like failure or a lack of fruit or sense that God didn't show up or or what happened here was I was I not hearing him well and, and such. I I think what we need to remind ourselves is every effort counts. Hmm. Um. No matter, no matter the length of the end game or the nature of the end game, uh, we need to have a kingdom mindset and how in God's eyes, a failed church start or the end of a church doesn't mean that all that effort didn't matter. It did. It mattered a lot. Every baptism, every life change, every marriage success. Now, we won't know this side of the kingdom, all the reasons why maybe one church flourishes and another one doesn't. We try to look at things in worldly eyes and say, well, you do this, 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 almost like we're writing a business primer. But it's, it doesn't always work that way. And, um, and uh, you know, I, 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 and I think it, it's, it's, we need to have some humility about it. Um, the fact of the matter is that there are churches that have not done as well at Mac, but the person who led that church is a better leader than I am. They're a better speaker than I am. They're a better they're more godly than I am. They pray more than I am. So I don't, I don't understand all the reasons why. Um, I just know that they'll be more important in heaven than I am. And I think that's just the way to have that kind of kingdom mindset. And we just need to have that kingdom mindset. And um, I have an annual blog. Uh, so it just came to my mind. I have an annual blog. There's a few blogs that I do. I blog twice a week, but uh, that, reached such a point where we just said, okay, we're just going to make this annual and uh, repost it. And there's one that I do the Monday after Easter every year. Mm-hmm. And, and I always start off saying, how was your Easter? Well, if you're like most people, it was less than what you wanted it to be, you know, if you're a leader, but ask yourself, did you, did you, did you pray faithfully? Did you, did you present the gospel? Did you celebrate the resurrection? Did you do this? Did you do this? Did you do this? Then guess what? Well done. Well done. You had a great, successful Easter, even if it didn't end up being numerically, maybe what you had hoped for, you were faithful. And it reminds me, and this is maybe, maybe something you'd mentioned wanting to end, (laughs) which is code for Jim. Quit talking. I need to wrap this up. Mother Teresa famously said, um, when someone asked her when she was on the streets of Calcutta, cradling a person hours from death, and this person looked at Mother Teresa and saw what she was doing and then just kind of looked around at this, the teeming population of the poor and, the, and, and, and said, Mother Teresa, how can you're, how can you feel like you're making a difference? And, and she said, God does not call us to be successful. He calls us to be faithful. Mm-hmm. And I'm just trying to be faithful. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really the mantra for every leader. Yeah. I love that. I hope that that, was exactly what some people who are listening to this needed to hear. Um, yeah. Thank you, Jim, for having this conversation. Thank you for helping us kind of think through that. And again, like for any church leader who's listening who might be dealing with something similar, I, I hope that they kind of treated this as if they were, maybe not in your office, maybe at a brewery, I don't know, but just sit, sitting with you and hearing your counsel. So thank you for taking the time to do that. And thank you guys for taking the time to listen. We hope you'll tune in again next week.